O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. In the name of the living and true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. The problem of evil is real. We see this yet again in high relief this week at yet another massacre at a house of worship, this time in New Zealand. The problem of evil is real. And at its heart, the problem of evil tempts us to reject either God or the goodness of God. How in the world could God exist, let alone be good, given the breadth and depth of pain and brokenness and suffering and evil in the world? This lies at the heart of the problem of evil. And there are indeed a multitude of souls who cannot bear to believe or trust in God because they cannot believe that he is good. And so they are left to view the world around and can only make sense of it by blaming God as the source or cause of the danger and brokenness. But in today's gospel, our Lord could not be more clear about his role, which is to say God's role, in the very midst of the problem of evil. He says to those gathered, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? If we look at the Greek, it reveals the power of our Lord's words. When he says, how often would I have gathered that verb in the Greek for would I is thelo, and it's more accurately translated as to intend, to desire, to wish, to will. So Jesus is saying, in effect, how often has it been my will? How often have I willed to gather you under my wings? It is the desire of God, the will of God, to gather his creation to protect and defend and nurture and comfort and console and heal and save. All these things that this imagery draws forth. So strong is his will, his desire to save us from the dangers of the world, from our own sin, which leads to death, that he opens up his arms to gather us in, to die in our place, that we might have life in him. This is the heart of God. As St. John reminds us, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. The problem is not in God's will, which is to seek and save all those that are lost. The problem is in us. The problem is in the will of the ones who are lost. And Jesus says as much in this passage. He says, how often would I, how often have I willed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you, using the same verb, thelo, and you would not. You willed not. How strong are these words? Jesus is saying to the people of God, you did not desire, you did not wish, you did not will to be protected, 
defended, comforted, consoled, nurtured, healed, and saved by the hand of Almighty God. The 19th century Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle writes, few passages in the Bible throw the responsibility of the loss of the soul so distinctly on those who are lost. Jesus saying, I would, you would not. Two wills, he says, are expressly mentioned, the will of Christ to do good and the will of humanity to refuse good when it is offered. Christ is willing. They are unwilling. And so the story goes. But why? Have you ever wondered why? Why would anyone not desire these things? Of course we desire them. They are almost universal to the human condition, to want to be comforted, healed, and saved. The problem is not that we don't desire these things. It's that we do not trust that God will provide them. And so instead we work in vain to try to provide them for ourselves, to self-preserve, to protect ourselves, to defend ourselves, to comfort and console and nurture and heal and save ourselves. Our predicament is such, however, that we cannot save ourselves. And while we cannot save ourselves, we can resist God's loving attempts at saving us. How often I willed to save you, Jesus says, but you willed not to be saved. Why is it so difficult for us to trust in God's good gift and receive his salvation? Why is it so difficult to simply will all that God wills for us? Well, for starters, I'd like to just name the fact that it's terrifying to trust in God's will. Letting go of our own will is absolutely terrifying. It's the exact opposite of self-preservation. It is self-offering, self-sacrifice, dying to the self. This is ironic. This is counterintuitive. It goes completely against how our sinful nature is hardwired. Think about the lives of some of the saints and the trust and faithfulness they exhibit and how terrifying it must have been for them. Uh, we'll name a few. Why not start with St. Patrick? It's his feast day today. Patron saint of leprechauns and lucky charms. Not really. St. Patrick actually has an incredibly powerful story of faith and trust in God. Patrick was kidnapped at the age of 16, he's a boy, by Irish slave traders where he was held in captivity as a slave for six years until the age of 22 when he finally is able to escape and return home to Britain. There he grows in his relationship with God, he studies, he is ordained a priest, then he is ordained a bishop. He has a vision that God was calling him to return then to Ireland, the land of his captivity, to go and serve the people there. What a terrible idea! 
Returning to the land of your slavery and captivity? Returning to the land of all of your childhood trauma? Really? And yet, in obedience to the will of God, this is exactly what Patrick does. Where he serves as a faithful bishop until the end of his life, some 30 years, and establishes the Christian faith in Ireland. Another famous example, St. Francis. He has a similar story. St. Francis comes from an exceedingly wealthy home. Not just kind of wealthy, really wealthy. In his youth, he enjoys fancy clothes, sumptuous food, any manner of worldly goods. Gradually, God calls him to let go of these material things. And one day during the liturgy, the gospel reading was our Lord's charge to the disciples to take nothing with them on their missionary pursuits. What a terrible idea. Francis had everything that the world could offer, all the desires and delights a man could ever want, the things most people spend their whole lives trying to attain. He has them all. Get rid of it? Really? And yet, in obedience to the will of God, this is exactly what Francis does. He weds himself to lady poverty and begins a monastic order that continues to this day. There are countless similar stories in the lives of the saints. I won't go through all of them. I'll spare you the detail. You're welcome. <laughs> I do want to mention one more, and that is the Blessed Virgin Mary. The angel Gabriel tells this very young, probably teenaged woman that she will become pregnant and her betrothed husband will not be the father. What a terrible idea! What will the neighbors think? What will Joseph think? She could be killed for her infidelity. Nevertheless, in obedience to the will of God, this is exactly what Mary does, saying, let it be to me according to thy will. To each one of these saints and countless more, our Lord says, I will this for you. And in spite of how terrifying and counterintuitive it must have felt, their responses were, thy will be done. Let it be to me according to your will. The devil loves to try and confuse this issue, to warp our thinking, to imagine that our wills are fine. Our wills are not the problem. It's the will of God that's the problem. We want what is right and good. God is the one who's on the wrong page. He's the one that's not tracking with us. When in reality, it is as simple and plain as our Lord's words in today's gospel. How often have I willed to love you and to heal you and to save you, but you willed not. If realigning our wills to the will of God feels scary, then that is a sure sign that we are on the right track. Reaching out, letting go, living by faith in the Son of God, that his word is true, his promises are real. His will is good. This is a terrifying enterprise. We are, of course, free to resist. But in the end, we must die. 
in order to live. And of course, our Lord himself is the perfect model for what it looks like for the will of a human being to conform to the will of God. You'll notice in today's gospel how it begins. Jesus is given a life-threatening warning. It would be easy to miss the impact of this. The Pharisees come up and say to him, get out of here, get away. Herod wants to kill you. Imagine a religious leader comes up to you, say, me, I don't know, and I tell you that uh, you need to leave North County immediately. Uh, Someone wants to kill you. That would rattle you a great deal. It would be hard to go to sleep with that information. And yet our Lord is completely unfazed, totally unafraid. It's like he couldn't care less about this message. Why? Because he knows that Herod cannot lay a finger on him outside of the will of God. Such is the depth of faith and trust that the Son has in the Father. And herein lies a great lesson for us. Again, Bishop Ryle writes, We ought to have that same mind in us that is in Christ Jesus. We ought to seek to possess a spirit of calm, unshaken confidence about things to come, to leave them in God's hands, and not to be over-anxious about health or family or money or plans. Jesus knows that his mission will be completed soon, which is why he responds to the Pharisees, tell that fox that I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. He's describing his ministry. And the third day I finish my course. This is an unmistakable reference to his death and resurrection to the cross that lies ahead. He knows he is headed to the cross. A terrifying prospect, to be sure. We might think, what a terrible idea. But Jesus trusts completely in the will of the Father that the cross is the way of life and the way of peace. And so he acts and lives accordingly. May God give us grace to do the same. In the name of the living and true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.